0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Muddy
2: Knees Media Hi there, thanks for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, which is brought to you in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell, on the line with me, George Ehrlich. We've got the championship returning this weekend, a full slate of EFL matches across all three divisions. George, when that is the case, I am excited and I'm also excited by what we've got in store today.
1: Yeah, today's podcast follows a theme and that theme is, of course, 34-year-old defenders because today we have two of them. One, a current player at Wickham Wanderers, Joe Jacobson, who we're going to discuss Wickham's better recent form before the international break and what it's been like for him playing in in the Championship for the first time in 16 years. And then Russell Martin, no longer a player, now manager of MK Dons, who of course beat Sunderland on the weekend and have been getting... Applaudits for their style of play under Russell Martin. And he even hosted a webinar this week explaining to fans why they're playing the way they're playing and with some data points alongside it, too. A big tick from us for that one. <laughs> and then, as ever, we will go through our favourite fixtures uh, ahead of the weekend with our sponsors, Paddy Power. And at the top of the show, those of you who've been listening to Ali and I and our podcast with The Athletic for a while will remember not the back page where we go through some of the biggest stories in the EFL. There are a few this week, so we'll be
2: doing that at the top of the show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power. On this week's
0: From the Horse's Mouth podcast, the lads are joined by Shane Lowry, fresh from his master's performance at Augusta. Here's what Shane's caddy was too scared to say to Tiger Woods after his disastrous 10 on the 12th.
3: Because anytime he hit a bad drive or an average drive, he'd say to Joe's caddy, that was like one of yours. And we stood on the 13T and Bo said to me, what do you think he'd say if I said to him, I bet you wish Joe had that one? <laughs> <laughs> Search Paddy Power
0: on your podcast provider to listen now. Paddy Power. 80 plus b-b-b-a-y-o.org.
4: You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: So before we get into our two interviews this week, we are going to touch on some of the stories in the news, in the EFL news that have caught our eye. And the first one, Ali, it's fair to say, hasn't just captured the attention and the imagination of EFL fans. But when the name Mario Balotelli is linked to any club, it's news, especially when
2: it's won in the championship. Mario Balotelli is in negotiations with English Championship team Barnsley according to Sun Sport that was what the Twitter account Football Italia tweeted two nights ago and sent Twitter into meltdown i think it's fair to say because well you're not 5 years into your football manager career where things are starting to get a little bit weird this is real and we've had it confirmed by Matt Slater of the Athletic who confirms that a bid or an offer, rather, has been made to Balotelli. 30-year-old striker, of course. He's currently a free agent after leaving Brescia at the end of last season. And, well, on the one hand, it seems completely ridiculous because... If there's one team in the EFL, aside from maybe Brentford, who have really stuck by quite a strict recruitment strategy in the last three years, is Barnsley, who at one point you may remember didn't even have any players over the age of 26. They are really determined to have a young squad full of players that they can develop and sell on for uh, for profit and sort of keep the wheels turning that way. Balotelli clearly doesn't seem to fit that mould, but Matt makes a very good point: the owner of Barnsley, Chien Li, also owns Nice. Now, a couple of years ago, Balotelli had a very, very good spell with Nice, scoring 15 and 18 league goals in consecutive seasons. So now you start to see why the Barnsley ownership might fancy getting Balotelli on board. It didn't go well for him at Brescia. There were problems with racism suffered by his own fans, uh, and he's currently a free agent mulling over this offer from Barnsley. You never want to get too overexcited with these because... God knows we've had plenty of headlines (laughs) like this in the past. Some of them have come true. Edgar Davids to Barnett, anyone? Some of them don't come true. Let's wait and see on this one. But I, for one, would love to see Mario Balotelli and Corley Woodrow standing over a free kick 20 yards out in the coming weeks. Excited to see how this one develops.
0: Civic has rolled the ball through Maisley and it's come to
2: Balotelli! George, we've also got some more serious news on rules and regulations, but quite significant news as well across the EFL.
1: Yeah, from the ridiculous to the serious, as you say. But it's been announced in the last kind of 24 hours that in the EFL, clubs will be permitted to use five substitutions. Uh, this comes into effect immediately, starting with Friday's game. So on Friday evening, Coventry against Birmingham, the managers there will be able to call upon five subs. They'll also be able to name nine players on the bench. That's only in the championship. League One and League Two remains with seven Phil Buckingham and, of course, the man Matt Slater have been covering this for The Athletic and you can read their piece before it was announced and then again yesterday on the front page after the announcement. Going through what this means and in effect, unsurprisingly, it's because of the demands of a truncated season have quickly caused clubs to reassess their stance about whether or not we wanted this, of course, when football restarted in the summer, this was introduced and then taken away. There's a stretch now of 12 games inside a 43-day window. So you can see there... the the toll this is going to take on certain players. And this is something we asked Joe Jacobson about in our interview. So if you do keep listening, hopefully you will, you'll hear a player's opinion on this. Of course, the Premier League are yet to follow suit, but it does feel like this could be the start of that. So don't be too surprised on the weekend when you suddenly see five players coming off the bench. It is important to point out, as was the case in the summer, managers are only allowed to use three separate occasions during the game in order to make the substitutions although half time doesn't count so you can't really break up play by suddenly using four substitutes in four minutes towards the end of a game um, that is not the case so it, the, the the mechanics remain as they were but five substitutes coming into force as of Friday now from this t- serious here Ali <laughs> y- you, you, I mean, I- I'm going to point out here you chose who gets to talk about what here I think you've given yourself the fun stories, because there's another interesting <laughs> one coming out of South
2: East London. Yeah, well, this was this is kind of a, a back ref to a scenario at Charlton under the previous owners that we spoke about a few times on this podcast, uh, notably with Jack Pitbrook, among others, who covered the story well. And, and, and regular listeners will remember the various shenanigans over the pre- previous ownership at Charlton, including quite an egregious use of company cars and the new owner thomas sangard or someone on his marketing team has had a very creative idea he has made one of the luxury range rovers that the previous ownership bought and used on the company card so to speak he's using that as the prize in a competition for charlton fans in the next month or so and you know clubs are constantly creative with how they run competitions and how they reward their fans. But this has got to be right up there. All Charlton fans have to do is buy a video streaming pass for one of their games before Christmas, and they'll have a ticket in the raffle to win a £90,000 Range Rover. And Hmm. I think that's pretty exciting. I think we had to talk about this. Uh, A very creative way to use those bad memories for good and and of course the last week or so has seen still more bickering over who owns the club, who should own the club and uh, Thomas Sangard is 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 battling bravely I think it's fair to say against uh, some of those who were involved in what we we're discussing here a, a few months ago and uh, hopefully with the club having won six games in a row on the pitch, uh, this can be put behind us and, and yeah as I say using these bad memories for good because that's what Charlton fans deserve.
4: on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell.
2: Okay, time to get stuck into our first guest. He's got one of the most cultured left pegs in the EFL. Here's our interview with Joe Jacobson. So delighted to be joined
1: by Wickham's Joe Jacobson today on the podcast. And Joe, things were going pretty well uh, in the last couple of weeks. I think it's seven points in the last four games, a couple of really strong performances, one especially against Watford in front of the the Sky cameras. So it must feel like this break came at a pretty bad time, given what you were doing beforehand.
3: Yeah, we, we thought we'd we'd hit a bit of form points-wise, um, but the performances have been good for probably six weeks or so and we weren't quite getting the rubber of the green, weren't quite getting the luck that we thought we, we may have deserved. And, um, you know, the, the first point against Watford was, was huge for us and the first win against Sheffield Wednesday. and Just like you said, just like when we thought we were hitting a little bit of form, we, we've had a break, but the break's needed. We've had so many games the last six weeks and and the, the schedule that's going to come up in the next month or so is is a bit brutal. So the break uh, is probably come at a good time to get a, a couple of bodies back, everyone refreshed and, and refocused and and time now to, to hit a really busy pr- Christmas period.
2: Joe, even covering the leagues, trying to keep up to date with two rounds of fixtures every week and, you know, trying to analyze and cover the games. It's been crazy for us and tiring for us mentally, but for you guys, it must be unbelievable when the schedule is like this. And as you mentioned, it's about to kick off again, I think 12 games in like 45 days or something. We'd really love to know, as we all wish we were footballers, but we're not. Like, What is the impact on you guys physically when you've got such a quick turnaround, when you're playing so many games? but also psychologically, mentally, how tiring is it and how can that affect you?
3: It depends. It, it, so, you know what? It's, it's weird because if you're you're doing well and you're performing well and, and getting points on the board, you seem to be fitter. You seem to heal faster. You seem to recover better for the next game. And then you're all just in your flow. And when when it's the other way, you kind of feel those little niggles and you know the team's changing so you can't kind of get into a rhythm and things like that. But for me as a player i prefer having more games you know the training's great but the games is where you you really enjoy yourself and and where you really come to life so for me having saturday tuesday games or wednesday it's i really like it um it's nice well it's it's not nice having six of them in a row but to have you know a couple here and there is is really good but it's hard to to recover um especially the older you get is um a little bit more difficult but that's why they've got sports scientists and analysts and, and people like that to kind of look after you, tell you what to eat, tell you what to drink and, and how to recover. And we've we seem to be doing it really well here. We've we've looked fit and strong the last few games that we've played and um, you know we we've always thought we're we're one of those teams who can kind of run to the end every week and, and that won't be any change when we've when we've got midweek games as well. Um, but it's hard for for the manager and for the, the coaches to kind of prepare for games because the turnaround's so quick. Um, and especially us, kind of coming up to the league, not knowing too much about some of the teams, and not having seen too much of them, it's it's hard for, for those guys to kind of prepare in depth on those teams. But you know, we, we've managed to do a good job so far. You,
1: you talk about the physical toll that the schedule has on players at the moment, and I think it's probably fair to say, talking as a fan myself rather than a player, the news this week about the five subs rule, how Championship clubs will be able to, um, and you know, have nine substitutes on the bench and bring five on. As a fan, it probably isn't something that I'm particularly happy to see, but I think we've seen over the last kind of six weeks or so the clear impact it's having on players and on injuries. So so for you as a player, is that is that welcome news that that's going to be the case from now on?
3: Um potentially, yeah. I think I think yeah, it helps the the club you know, the gaffer with with having an extra couple of players on the bench to choose from um probably makes selection issues a little bit easier for him that he doesn't have to leave out too many players out the squad and things. As a player, for me personally, it probably doesn't affect me too much. I you know, player in my position, I'd probably either play or I don't play. There's no really As isn't like, gonna take you off, Joe, is he? Well he has done before. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it helps a lot of the, the bigger teams with the bigger squads. I think they were the ones pushing for it at the start. Um, and they're the ones who've kind of got their way a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've got a great squad here. We've got players who are desperate to be involved. And, and <clears throat> yeah, you know, if it, if it allows managers to kind of change two or three subs here or there when, when players are getting tired, then if it stops any injuries from happening, then it can only be a good thing.
2: So, Wickham experiencing their first ever season in the second tier. Now, you were one of only a few players in the squad who technically had championship experience and and in the summer there was a lot talked about how the majority of the squad hadn't played in the championship before as well as Wiccan themselves. Now, you made your championship debut uh, off the bench for Cardiff uh, on the 22nd of April 2006 uh, and then had to wait 14 and a half years including 450 games in League One and League Two before your second championship game at the, the start of this season. So a, a long wait to be back at the level. What's it like in footballing terms? What is championship football like compared to Leagues One and, and League Two?
3: Yeah, I never thought I'd have to wait that long in between my first and second games, that's for sure. When you're growing up, I kind of think you just, you make your debut and then you think you're just going to go on and higher and better things. And and you, you don't think you're going to have a career in Leagues 1 and 2 or, or if, if that. But for me, it was it was always a dream to kind of get back there. It was always a level that I wanted to kind of test myself at. And it's taken a bit longer, but we're finally here. And, you know, you just look at all the teams we've played this season, the huge names that we're playing against. We're playing at the, you know, Notting Forest at Birmingham, at Derby coming up. And you're just playing in these stadiums. All the pitches are perfect. You know, the I, I wish that there was fans there to kind of, you know, play in front of 20,000 people every week. And that's kind of, you know, one thing that we're missing out on is, is not just the fans coming to games and, and your families that they've supported you for so long and they have wanted to get to these places as well. My dad would travel to every game if he could. So he's gutted that the season's happened, this, the year that has happened. And it, the step-up's obviously there, but I think we've shown that we're, we're kind of good enough to, to compete now. We've signed a few good players this season who have got the championship experience, Dow Horgan, Gareth McCleary, Ryan Taffazzoli who have played at that level and, and can kind of share some light on, on how to do things. And I think once you, once you're in it, you're just in it and you're part of it. And, and, you know, they're, they're just human beings. They may be a little bit quicker or, or sharper than other players you played against, but you know, they, they still have emotions. You can still try and, you know, they still have weaknesses. That's why they're not playing in the, in the Champions League or the, the top end of the Premier League. So you, we just have to try and find out what they are and where we can exploit them. And, and at the end of the day, we're, we're just on a pitch, just 11 guys against 11 guys. And, and you know, we've got to find a way to win.
1: Joe, you're you're a left-back and, and it's fair to say you probably don't need to use Wikipedia too much or other players to find out about the right wingers in the division that you've faced so far. Jed Wallace, Emmy Blendier, Ishmael Assar, Anthony Notcart also adding the very talented youngster Tyree Stolen at Blackburn into the mix as well, who I think most fullbacks are having a pretty tough time coming up against. (laughs) It's not an easy job being a left-back, being a full-back in the Championship, is it? How are you finding it coming up against those kind of
3: talents? Yeah, they haven't let me in easily, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, But it's really, that's why I wanted to play at this level. I wanted to test myself. Um, There's players like Sarr at Watford who I was watching last season, then you're getting linked to to massive moves from Man United to Liverpool and, and you, I just really want to play against them I want to see how good these guys are I want to see how good I can be against them Um and like you said there the, the, the toughest game I've probably had this season was against Dolan at flat the young lad and he started off the season on fire I think he's only about 18, 19 years old and, and he's going to be a, a very good player to, for, for, for a long time and, but it's nice I'm really enjoying playing against these guys and, and testing myself and, and what's nice is seeing how you know, most of those those players you just said are, are really humble guys. that, you know, you get to kind of have a little bit of chat during the game and things and they're all really nice guys and and very complimentary of, of Wickham and what we've done. So um yeah, said I'm enjoying it. The the names will continue throughout the season and and hopefully I can, you know, you know, hold my own a lot of the time and and come out of it, you know, very proud of my performances.
1: Joe, before we let you go. Just a question away from football as to whether or not we should be a bit concerned about a new rivalry in the podcast market, because you and your dad have started a pod together. I mean, I think Ali and I have a bit of a father son relationship as well. But I mean, how does it feel for you? Um, You know, what's it like sitting down and just kind of chewing the fat with your dad and then sending it to the nation?
3: This is my dad. I don't like people who know my dad. Will be like he's a bit weird. He's a bit strange. He's he's always got ideas about doing things. He's been asking me to do it for ages. Um, he finally got me to to agree to it, and um, that's just how he is. We speak every day. Me and my dad. We have a chat, and he just said, "Why not just start recording it and seeing what it's like?" And we've had some really good feedback. He's there's uh, times where I've got to kind of keep him under control and. T- Keep him from from flying off with it. If it was up to him, he'd, he'd be booking tours in around the world if he could, and and doing things like that. So he's uh, he's like it's good fun. He's he's probably been my biggest fan throughout my whole life, and and he's helped me immensely to to get where I am. And that's why this season I feel gutted for him not being able to travel around and see these places. And I've told him before the end of the season I'm going to have to sneak him in at some point to one of the games um, just to get him in, but. Yeah, you know JJ and his dad is is you know has had some good feedback, and we get a lot of nice messages from, from people, and um, yeah, we'll continue to do it as long as there's you know we get one listener at least every week, and yeah, that's it really. Well, wow,
2: we've got Ben Foster and his YouTube channel. We have got Joe Jacobson yeah. and his podcast. I'm not sure what's next. We need an EFL yeah. player to get. The some. Ben
3: Foster oh. one is very good, by the way. Let's tell you really what else we've
2: got. Bradley Dak he's got a reality show with his uh, yeah. with his fiance with Liv from uh, from Love Island so there you go um, we're, we're building quite the the media conglomerate in the EFL Joe thank you so much for taking the time out to join us before training today uh, go well this weekend against some Burmo and Brentford and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon we've really enjoyed this
3: thank you uh, thanks a lot for
2: brilliant to talk to joe jacobson we're going to roll straight into our next guest he does not have a podcast with his dad but he does have a football team to manage and he's doing it in a pretty interesting way we chatted earlier to russell martin manager of mk dons
4: this is the totally football league show extra time part of the athletic podcast network
2: yeah so delighted to be joined now by Russell Martin someone that we've been interested in talking about for for a few weeks and maybe even months now uh, and and first off Russell, just an overview of the season so far. You've played 12 games. You started with just five points from seven, uh, but two wins and two draws since then. You've started to move up the table. You've started to get the the results that some people were saying your performances were were meriting. One of them, of course, at Sunderland on the weekend, which ended a a long run without an away win. So it's a very good time to talk to you on the pod. And just to start with, how, how do you reflect on your first 12 games of the season?
5: been frustrating. I'm disappointed we haven't got more points, if I'm honest. I think there's been some really, really strong performances in there. There's been one really poor one away to crew. Um other than that I've been really pleased with the um with the way that we performed on the whole. We've done a lot of work on the stuff that really needed improving. There's still lots to work on, but we're starting to now really um, see the benefits of all the work the players have put in and, and they're generating a little bit more belief in it now because the results, you know, as much as you know, I tell them the process will end up in, in good results. I completely believe that. They do need convincing at times as well and results give you that as a football player. There's no doubt about it. So they've been as frustrated as I have. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is players that are coming to, to peak fitness after missing a pre-season and, and some players who are really, really starting to hit good form and that takes time. And also, you know, having Richard Keogh people like that, and Cameron Jerome coming in and, and again, getting back to full fitness really helps us. So, I'm okay. I'm, sat- I'm not well. I'm not satisfied with it. I feel we should have more points, but um, I think in terms of performance levels and where I can see it going, and uh, the way the boys trust the process and-, and believe in what we're doing, I'm really, really pleased with, and, I- and I- I'm really positive about what we can we can go on to after this.
1: We're going to talk about individual players and the style of play and the tactics in a second, but just. You know, let's touch on, on you, Russell, to start with, because you're you're the youngest manager in the EFL at 34 years old. You, you kind of stepped up into this job um, pretty quickly last season, but many players your age would still be playing and you certainly could be as well. So, I mean, was it always your plan to get into management at a young age? Have you always wanted to be a manager?
5: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think I've think i always said that I've been quite open and nice about that um, to the detriment of of my uh, playing career at times I mean, when I was coming towards the end in Norwich I met a few managers who I was who were keen on signing me and they found out my intention was to become a manager and it kind of changed things a little bit after that so I didn't get a job in a way I thought I would I thought I'd probably play for another season or so even though my hip was hip and back was slowly coming towards the end then people are arguing should have said I retired a couple of years ago but um yeah so I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity and I think it's it's the reason I've got the job is the fact that the the chairman was made aware by people around the club that I was on my pro license, studying for that, um, and so for me it started really early on. I knew I wanted to manage uh, and coach really early, so I started my badges when I was eighteen, and then it's been a process all the way through.
2: Let's talk about the style of, and play, uh, the style of play, and the the tactics, if you will. It was discussed by our colleagues on the Totally Football League show on Monday, and just for any listeners that haven't watched your team play, I suppose that. The preview, the first thing to bring up is that, from what I can see on who scored anyway, no team in English football or in Europe's major leagues has a higher average possession percentage than your side. So that that gives an indication of why we want to talk to you about your tactics. But of, of course, there's more to it than that, and possession itself doesn't equal success. So we'd love it if you could explain to us and the listeners as well, who maybe haven't seen as much of, of MK Don's this season, I guess the key features of your MK Don side, why you're approaching it in that possession-heavy way, uh, and what you think it will achieve.
5: I guess it's a belief system with with any coaches or managers, and it's often why the teams end up reflecting their manager. You know, in terms of personality, and um, I've just I played in a lot of different styles, a lot of different um, cultures and environments, and the one I was always most comfortable with was having the ball, so dominating the ball in the teams that dominate the ball. So for me, I feel especially at League 1 and League 2 level there is so many variables in the game there's a lot of percentages and, and I completely respect how other people play and see the game but I said to the players really early on it's a, for me and, and to the chairman of the club as well it's about identity and having something to to be sustainable to be able to continue rather than jumping from game to game and changing your week training week and focusing on the opposition all the time so for me it's about trying to improve constantly what we do and how we do it so Whilst we have a ball, the other team can't score. So, and, and we're really aggressive with it. We're not slow and pass the ball just for the sake of passing it. The guys are, they try and break lines really quickly. They try and play forward really quickly. And if they can't, then they have to move the ball. Ball speed for me is the most important thing. We have to keep it so high to make the opposition work. So I don't want people standing on the ball for three, four, five seconds. They have to make sure they can work the opposition in some way, whether that's moving a player, making them work to press, committing a player by stepping out and breaking a line So, but I'm so proud of the players because I had a lot of people and people I really trust and respect in the game as well questioning whether we could try and implement that with League 1 players and I find that a little bit offensive to some of the players because they can't do it they just need belief they need belief that they can do it
1: You kind of mentioned there the possible issues with trying to get a League One team um, playing this kind of expansive brand of football and you know, you're obviously right they're talented guys there's no reason why they shouldn't do but how did you find it given you know, the summer was your first summer as a manager and you were recruiting players in order to completely change the footballing culture of a League One side I mean having to recruit players who you knew or you thought would be able to cope with the demands you were asking of them how was that?
5: Yeah it was tough I think especially given the uh the climate of the window with COVID and everything else and, the, and the, the effect it had on our budget. But with the way we're trying to do things now, we have a really clear, we've got real clarity on how we can improve the squad and continue to do it and what, what we expect from every position. I think even in a short period of time, there's been a couple of things that have surprised us how quickly we've the players have taken on certain bits which have changed what we're looking for in January now. There's no doubt about it. But um, we're really clear on where we're trying to go and what we want to do. And that helps... So being able to attract the players like Richard Keogh, Scott Fraser, Cammy Jerome, and the only the only reason we get them, you know, forget the relationship I have with some of them guys, the only reason we get them is because of the the way we play, and they they look at it and go, wow, this is this is going to be interesting, this is going to be different, and that was completely the reason that Kesey, you know, Richard Keogh came and signed because he had a lot of offers. Yeah, I think we're clear on it, and it, and it helps having real clarity in what we're doing, but it becomes tough to. to get the players in that you really want and will really improve us.
2: Russell, you've been speaking to fans this week uh, over Zoom and doing really what you're doing with us, talking us through why you and your coaching staff are operating the way that you are and and what you guys are hoping to achieve. And that's obviously a fantastic thing. It it was obvious from, from that that you were using data as a helpful way of, of explaining your style and, and I guess measuring its success as well and that's something that's been growing in the game in the last few years something that we talk about a lot on on our podcasts and um, and I guess I was asked I was I was wondering how do your players react to the use of, of data and numbers graphs if you want in, in that way there's some people that, that would assume they might be slightly turned off by that sort of thing do you have to adapt how you present it to them do some of them buy into it more than others? How do you use data, I guess, in in
5: this work? Sometimes we have to use it to to convince the players that, that we're on the right path, especially when they haven't got the result. The performance may be warranted. I think there's been loads of games this season where the amount of touches we had in the opposition box, the amount of chances we created. You know, we, we went four home games with conceding literally four shots on target against us for four games, and two of them were no shots on target at all. And we ended up drawing both of those games. So it's trying to say to the guys, look, you carry on doing this. This is the right way to go. And that's not going to happen um, continuously. It's going to, it's going to turn at some point. You know, the, the dynamic will shift and the balance will tip in our favour. We've got a guy, Liam Sweeting, who's the head of analysis and head of recruitment at our place, who's fantastic at taking the information, all the stats and, and filtering them down to what's really important to our performance. And we've got some real key ones now, key indicators as I mentioned earlier about ball speed and stuff like that, that are really important to us, that we do use to measure individual performance and, and uh, our team performance. And the players know that and some are brilliant with it. Some, some actively come looking for the stats. Uh, we do a match report for the players um, every week. We get it as a staff and they get to see it as well. And some, some just can't wait to, to get it. So they want to come into the office and ask Ben, the analyst, uh, to go through it all and stuff like that, which is brilliant. It's great. It tells me we're trying to build the right culture and they're so invested in what we're trying to do in their own performance Um, and then obviously we use it on the recruitment side heavily as well as a you know the first point of call really especially with the way that we're trying to play there's certain parameters and indicators that will highlight players and and then it's sort of everything used off the back of that really.
1: Russell I feel like yourself Ali and me could genuinely speak about football and data and uh, style of play for hours. Um, but sadly, we have to bring this interview to something of a close. But before we let you go, I've just got to ask you, we can't have you on the podcast at the moment and I'll ask you about the, the goalkeeping tactic that we saw in, on show at Sunderland with Andrew Fisher moving forward with the ball into that right-hand channel, kind of alongside Richard Keogh, who is the deepest centre-back. You know, it, it's pretty rare to see especially clubs in League One adopting this kind of a tactic with a goalkeeper you know being so confident on the ball opening yourself up I guess to mistakes if you know if a pass goes awry I mean A how did the idea come about and B was it difficult to persuade um, your keeper that that was the way you wanted him to play
5: uh, we've had discussions about this recently even about the Sunderland one this stuff I'm, I'm really, we were really pleased with this stuff we really need to tweak but um I think I'm very fortunate. I've got a guy, Luke Williams, who has lived a lot of the stuff before with his Swindon team. And we just, we sit there for hours and we come up with stuff and and we've done it ever since we took over, really. Lee Nichols as well, when he's played, he does it brilliantly. Um, Just trying to create an extra player in the build-up, you know, trying to make sure we can overload somewhere. And um, a lot of the time, teams go man for man against us and want to press. So the only guy we can bring out is the goalkeeper. And unless they bring their goalkeeper out from their box to come and, take him on then we've got we've created an overload somewhere so it's about that and if you're if we're going to try and dominate the ball we have to try and overload different areas of the pitch in different ways and the fact we're really fortunate we've got three goalkeepers who take you know Laurie has come in and done it in the EFL trophy in the Papa John's especially in Northampton where we faced a team that went literally man for man all over the pitch so the only guy then was left spare was him and we had to convince him and there was times when he it was scary because he got to the near enough of the halfway line but the fact that he's got that confidence to go and do that, it's, it's, a, it's a result of all the work that um, you know, Luke puts into them that we talk to him about. It's a, it's a solution to a problem. And it's something the goalkeepers do extremely well. And we've got real trust in them to do. But it's, it's our way. It's our way of doing things. And we'll keep continuing to find solutions to problems. Um, and if it carries on involving the goalkeeper, then uh, we'll keep doing that. We've got trust in him to do it.
2: Well, we just think it's an absolute pleasure covering any league with such a variety of styles. And, and Russell, your MK Don side are certainly um, playing a certain kind of way. And it's, it's been brilliant to watch. You've got Hull this weekend, uh, Shrewsbury next midweek. The game's coming thick and fast now. So uh, thank you so much for giving up a bit of your time to chat through it with us. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we get to talk to you again uh, in the future. Yeah,
5: no, thanks for having me.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
4: The heating's on and it's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? That's right, just 100 of your finest British sterling. And every seven days, you'll get unrivalled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around. Plus, a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell.
1: Great to speak to Russell Martin there, a manager whose career I would recommend following because in its infancy here at MK Dons he is doing some of the most interesting work in the EFL and their games are probably one of my favourite games to follow every weekend but sadly We cannot do that. We can't just go through MK Don's games at this segment. So Ali and I have looked through the Championship, League One and League Two to find our favourite games, which we'll preview with the help of our sponsors Paddy Power into the Championship firstly. And Ali, it's been a while since we've been able to talk about Championship games, but an absolute humdinger for you (laughs) to start.
2: Yeah, these are the ones to keep your eye on this weekend if you're an EFL nerd like we are. I'm going to take you back to May of 2015, the Championship Playoff Final more specifically between Middlesbrough and Norwich. It was Alex Neil versus Itor Karanka in the dugouts. Up front for Middlesbrough was Patrick Bamford. Recently, at that stage, had been crowned the Championship Player of the Season 2014-2015. But he gets no change from our new friend of the pod, Russell Martin, and Sebastian Bassong at the back for Norwich. Cameron Jerome now playing up front for Russ Martin's MK Dons.
1: Cameron Jerome has robbed by Arla here. Still Cameron Jerome!
2: And Nathan Redmond do the damage early and Norwich head to the Premier League. Now, since then, Norwich have come down, then gone up and then come down again. Uh, And Middlesbrough themselves went up the following season and then came down again. Uh, It's not the first time they've played each other since then, but I always think that's a nice piece of context between these two sides. Some scores to settle, certainly in the fan base even if not necessarily uh, those on the pitch. But we have got Johnny Howson, who played for Norwich that day and is now playing for Middlesbrough. Norwich, of course, now managed by Daniel Fark, whose name sounds a little like an English swear word, but not the way Neil Warnock says it, which is what he's very well known for in some circles. Except Neil Warnock isn't swearing at the moment. He's one of the happiest men in the EFL, his borough side. A 10 unbeaten. They've got six clean sheets in their last seven games. They've only faced eight shots on target in those last seven. Very little stress for Mr. Warnock at the moment. Their main issue is that they've only scored more than one goal in a game twice in 11. And that means they're struggling to put teams away. They've failed to score four times in their 11 games. They're not too fussed about having the ball, Borough. But they certainly don't let you get it close to their goal easily. Norwich, almost the opposite. They want the ball. They want all of the ball, ideally. They've already had over 70% possession twice this season, and I have a feeling this could be match number three. They do hold the, the highest average possession percentage in the league. And they'll work it down the sides, certainly down the right flank. They've got a lot of quality with Max Aarons keeping the width and such a skillful and, and pacey right back and inside him, Emmy Buen There's a lot for the left side of Middlesbrough to think about. They'll try and slip through balls through for Timu Puki. They'll take plenty of shots from the edge of the box, the likes of Steeperman and Kenny McLean. And Norwich are in good form as well, unbeaten in their last seven with five wins in that time. So I'm just really excited to see how this game plays out and to see really whether Warnock's organised defence can knock Norwich off their game, can frustrate them and, and potentially could Borough hurt them on the break or or potentially from set pieces. It's a fascinating game tactically, a little bit of added bite after that playoff final not too long ago in the memory I think it's going to be a cracker and Paddy Power are finding it a tough one to call as well they've got Norwich the away side at six to four here and Middlesbrough at 17 to 10 with the draw 11 to five I would certainly recommend checking this game out this weekend I can't wait for it George what have you gone for in the championship this weekend? So I've chosen a top of the table clash. It's Bournemouth
1: against Reading. And I guess because of Reading's recent form, which we'll touch on in a second, you have to remind yourself that Reading are still the team who sit atop of the championship table, playing against the Bournemouth side who've lost just one game in 11. So everything points to this as being a pretty high stakes game towards the top end. But Paddy Power's odds maybe tell something closer to the real story. Bournemouth are 4-6, so heavily odds on to win this one. The draw 13-5. Reading, hefty outsiders at 4-1. And and part of this is because we're now starting to see the Bournemouth team that I think we hoped we'd see back in the summer. There were rumours about certain players leaving, moving on back up to the Premier League. Most of them didn't really come to fruition. And if we look at the side that played in their last game, a 3-1 win at Birmingham. You've got Begovic in goal, Stacey and Rico right and left back with Mepham and Kelly in the middle. And then things get really serious. Stanislas and Brooks on the wing, Lerma, Cook in the middle, Dan Juma and Solanke up front. That is a side that is as good as any that we've really seen on paper, at least in the championship in recent years. But as I'm often told, football is played on grass and not on paper. And maybe... This Birmingham game is the first time we'd really seen that attacking talent come through. Brooks getting two goals. I mean, he should be, if not the best attacking player in the league. Very, very high up there. With Reading, things have started to fall apart recently. They started the season so well. Expectations raised to such a high level. But in their last three games, they've lost all three and they've conceded three goals in all of them. Those games were against Coventry, Preston and Stoke, so not even necessarily three of the class teams in the division, although Preston and Stoke fans will hope that they'll be able to muscle their way into there as the season progresses. How concerned should Reading fans be it depends how much you changed your expectations of them due to that early start. It's fair to say I, I don't think they're going to continue conceding goals at that rate. We've seen over the last 18 months or so that Raphael is a very, very good championship keeper. And the mistakes we've maybe seen creep in recently are pretty uncharacteristic. But at the same time, there's no doubting that the results they were getting earlier on were coming through a period where everything they touched turned to gold. So... This is a really difficult game for them to come into. Verko Pavnovic, their manager, will be desperate to arrest the slide and try and prove that his side are capable of of mounting a challenge. But this is the real litmus test for them. They've come stuck against three teams, who we probably perceive as being poorer than Bournemouth, and this is a Bournemouth side who are really hitting their straps now. So, I think we're going to we're going to understand more about Reading. I don't think we'll necessarily learn too much about Bournemouth, but in, you know, Reading, the tabletop is still the first place team in the championship at four to one away at Bournemouth, it tells its own story, and I have a feeling it could be another difficult day for them down on the South Coast.
2: In League One this weekend, which is such an intriguing division at the moment, isn't it? There's so many teams towards the top end that you know you could you could see lasting the course. So any game between any teams in the top 10 is pretty fascinating. I've chosen Doncaster against Sunderland as, as the one to preview this weekend. It's an intriguing one. Donnie playing good football under Darren Moore. It was a few weeks ago earlier on in the season when we really coined them the dark horse of League One. And I think you probably can't say that now given Lincoln City are still in fifth Uh, given the emergence of Plymouth and Accrington and Crewe, who have all moved into the top 10 in recent weeks. And Donny's own form has been less good. They've conceded two goals in three of their last four games and defeats to Crewe and Plymouth have slowed them down somewhat after that hot start. But there's plenty to admire. They play really good stuff under Darren Moore and they've got some excellent young players, as well as that slightly more experienced back line that has generally been Holding strong. Uh, Fajiri Okanobire is an interesting one. He's playing up top for them, and if you look at the underlying numbers, you'll see that Okanobire has had so many chances created for him recently, and he's not been putting them away at, at the rate that you would want, or the rate that you would even expect for a striker at this level. So, uh, either his confidence needs to improve, and his finishing will come with that, or they need to try something else because. They're creating a lot for him and he's not necessarily taking all of those chances. Josh Sims has really caught the eye for Donny on the wing, on loan from Saints. Uh, And of course, they've got uh, Ben Whiteman at the base of midfield, who we are contractually obliged to mention whenever we talk (laughs) about Doncaster, because it's a player that for two or three seasons now, we've we've been wondering why he's playing at, uh, at League One level. They have beaten Ipswich and Pompey this season already, Donny. So there's clearly no inferiority complex against the sides towards the top end of the table. So Sunderland have a big job on their hands here. And for the Mackhams, performances and results in the last few weeks have been a little sticky, is the word I'd probably use. Their previously excellent defensive record has been chipped away at. And in their last five, they've won two, lost two and drawn one. They lost their most recent game against MK Dons on the weekend. And, You know, with so many teams very bunched up at the top of League One at the moment, I think league position is not too important and you shouldn't put too much focus on league position at this stage while the teams are are so tight. But performances and form are quite important and the last few weeks haven't been great for Sunderland, which has led to a swelling of discontent towards Phil Parkinson the manager his style of play specifically and his lack of opportunities given to dynamic young players like Elliot Embleton uh, Elliot Embleton rather and Diamond uh, the young midfielders. It's a good chance for them to, to flex their muscles and prove their credentials against this strong Doncaster side, but they really will have to be on top of their game if they're going to get three points here. Uh, I am finding this very, very tough to call. Indeed, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Doncaster are 17-10 with Paddy Power and Sunderland 7-5 to 5 with the draw 11-5. to 5. So in a league that I think is possibly the most intriguing in sporting terms, in, in terms of the amount of decent-looking sides, uh, this is the one that stands out most for me this weekend.
1: Decent-looking sides, that's basically exactly what I've what I've gone for. Two teams who I really fancy as being two of the top six, at least best in League One. Portsmouth against Crew. Pompey are four to five favourites with Paddy Power. The draw is 12 to five. Crew, seven to two outsiders. And I'm quite well-placed to preview this one because I've watched both Crew and Portsmouth play football uh, from the comfort of my own uh, living room in the last week or so, crew played against uh, the team I support, Oxford, on uh, Tuesday night. And it was a pretty galling experience because crew were far superior in every facet of their play uh, than Oxford were. They controlled the game from start to finish. And, and I think we speak a lot about crew and their. You know, their attacking mentality, the um, attacking merits of of Perry and G at right back and Harry Pickering at left back, of, of Charlie Kirk playing off the left, of Mikael Moundjon as that target man. And that all was completely true. I mean, Pickering and G caused Oxford no end of problems, especially with the combination of Kirk and Pickering on the left-hand side. But there was also just a defensive assuredness from this crew side that I didn't necessarily expect to see. Now, I am aware that Oxford this season are not one of the best teams in the division. But having watched a fair few of our games, I've also seen that even when not playing particularly well, there's still an attacking threat. It is fairly consistent. In other losses, such as the away defeat against Peterborough, they were still creating plenty of chances. At home recently, we've seen them score four against Rochdale, three against MK Dons in two victories. So an attacking Lack of threat hasn't necessarily been an issue, but crew were able to keep Oxford at arm's length throughout the game. Will Yaskalainen was, was rarely troubled. I think a, a header from Sam Wendell from about twelve yards, looping into his hands, was was the only bit of work he had to do. I, I was immensely impressed with, with Offord at centre back and, and with Larry in the, in the middle of the park as well, running the show. They just looked like such a slick, capable outfit, and you know they're currently in mid-table. People who hadn't really had crew on their radar so far, might be surprised to hear such effusive praise. But you look at who they've played so far this season, their away games have come against Hull, Doncaster, Ipswich, Oxford, and now against Pompey coming up, you'd think. When the fixture list is a bit more kind to them, we'll probably see them pick up the, the points needed to really get themselves further up the table. I wasn't as impressed with Portsmouth in their 2-all draw with Plymouth. Plymouth, again, a very, very good side and by no means should Pompey fans expect to go to home park and come back with three points but in the first half at least Plymouth Argyle were the better team I mean whilst Pompey looked dangerous in in certain areas especially when getting the ball forward to Marcus Harness it didn't happen often enough and and, and Plymouth were were basically able to control the game in Portsmouth's half now of course Portsmouth did come back into the game and and they scored a penalty and then very soon afterwards Naylor put them 2-1 up before uh, Argyle were able to get themselves back into the game but I don't know it didn't strike me necessarily as being as competent and as capable as we've seen Portsmouth in recent times and you do have to give, give Plymouth some credit to that but I, I still think you know you look at the the underlying data the XG data the amount of goals scored over a prolonged period of time this Portsmouth side are certainly one of the best in the, in the division but I think they might be coming up against one of the low key best in the division as well so The league table may not say it, even the form guide may not say it, but I'm looking at this Pompey v. Crew as very much a a match between two sides, so I expect to be challenging at the top end come the end of the season
2: in League One. In League Two, I've gone for what I consider to be the obvious neutrals choice, and that is Crawley Town against Carlisle United. Crawley will start with, so strong at home. In fact, They're currently experiencing the longest EFL unbeaten home run of 14 games. And this season, they've spanked Morecambe and Tranmere 4-0. They won 6-5 in the Cup the other day, didn't they? I think it was against Torquay. And Max Watters and Tom Nichols are building quite the relationship up front. Things are looking very, very promising going forward for Crawley. On their day, they can be super exciting, but... After each big win or, or run of two wins in a row, which they've had a couple of times this season, they seem to drop off. They seem to perform poorly. So inconsistency is clearly an issue here. No doubt making John Yems more and more furious. Just please don't ask him any stupid questions about it.
5: We decided to play a slightly different formation today with Madison leading the line. What was the thinking behind this? Hopefully we win the game.
2: They're up against Carlisle this weekend and Carlisle are certainly the dark horse in league two because not a huge amount was expected of them this season based on how they did last year and based on a lot of squad churn in the summer but slowly but surely people are coming around to the fact that chris beach in charge for a year as of next week he was a long time assistant of keith hill at rochdale it's his first number one manager job if you will and he's going to celebrate a year in charge of Carlisle, where I think he's been an absolute breath of fresh air. And I don't think they could have asked for anything more from him. They obviously picked up some quite important and very well, very welcome uh, money from the sale of Jared Branthwaite to Everton last January. But the way that he has used that, that money and those involved in the recruitment department should get some credit as well. In experiencing such a big churn of the squad in the summer, but in recruiting smart young mostly uh, cheap to some extent players specifically to fit a style of play it's working really really well and it's got them towards the top end of this table now his football is catching the eye as well we've spoken about it on the pod previously being high octane stuff it's been coined beach ball which i really (laughs) like and it's basically take a ton of shots uh, attack with great speed and intensity press high up the pitch as well and you know it's kind of it's it's actually working for them more as a defensive tactic where their underlying numbers are really good and they've actually been a little unlucky to concede uh, a few more goals than maybe you would have expected at this stage uh, than it is necessarily as an attacking tactic but they are still scoring goals they've got the league two lampard john mellish to thank for <laughs> that currently in the playoff places but it's a tricky place to go crawley 14 unbeaten at home so it would be fascinating to see what happens in what i'm expecting to be a, a ding dong battle between two teams who both want to attack both Want to score goals as their sort of primary tactic. At Crawley are 17 to 10, Carlisle are 7 to 5, and the draw 5 to 2. So it's another very even game ahead uh, and one that I'm looking forward to immensely.
1: Sometimes doing what we do, Ali, you end up with egg on your face. And. <laughs> I might have to be eating a bit of humble pie here, um, or maybe it's too early to say that, but I, I've been recently eating on quite... humble pie with egg on your face. That's, Correct. That would be tricky. That's going to be absolutely disgusting. But yeah, I, I went on quite an impassioned rant last week around Scunthorpe United and their lack of, at the time, credentials to mount a, a challenge to even stay in League Two. Since making such rant, they have won two games in a week, conceded no goals and scored three. So either I'm doing a team's team talk for them again, or I got Scunthorpe completely wrong. Those two wins were away from home. The first was a deserved 2-0 victory over Oldham. And then a real smash and grab against Port Vale on on Tuesday night. Port Vale had 16 shots to Scunthorpe's two, but one of those two was Abo Issa sticking the ball away for a 1-0 win. Now I think there's one key oversight on my part when talking about Scunthorpe last week and that was the return of one player and that player is Kevin Von Feen. He is a striker who has not polarised opinion but there's absolutely no denying that his talent uh, means that he should not be playing in the fourth tier of English football. He is... A player who can score spectacular goals, who has so much technical ability, who has you know the height as well to be some something of a threat in the opposition box, although I think he'd prefer the ball at his feet. And his return to the Scunthorpe team, having been, out in, uh, having been out injured all season, it was no coincidence that this coincided with not only him scoring an absolute worldie against Oldham in a dominating performance, but also them getting their two victories. Now, the bad news is for Scunthorpe fans is that he hobbled off after 54 minutes on Tuesday night. I have scoured the internet to find any reports on what has happened with this, but it's fair to say that Scunthorpe are keeping their lips pretty sealed. It was mentioned that he had a hamstring injury at the time. No mention of him, basically, by any of their fans or by any anyone at the club to 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 state whether or not he's gonna be fit for this one. But their host, a Morecambe side, who under Derek Adams have consistently been punching above their weight this season and are enjoying their travels very much. They've won four of their six away games so far this season. The fact they often get absolutely spanked when they're not winning games means they've got a negative goal difference away from home, despite winning four of their six games. Um, but they're currently sitting in 10th position and you know, consistently, as has been the case with Morecambe for a long time, are upsetting those who think they're going to be one of the whipping boys. I'm happy to say that I don't think Morecambe are a side who are going to be down towards the bottom end of the table so this isn't necessarily the kind of relegation game that it might look when looking at the the two team names but certainly for Scunthorpe given the struggles they've had under new manager Neil Cox so far this season it is imperative for them that they maintain this form whether Van Veen is fit or not and that's going to be key here in terms of of, of judging this game when the team sheets come out at 2 o'clock on Saturday is he on the pitch because if he's not I have a feeling it could be another difficult day for Scunny fans. fans.
2: You've got egg on your face and I've got a broad grin on mine because after (laughs) after after that weekend preview, I am absolutely buzzing for the EFL weekend. It could be an absolute cracker. And if you subscribe to this podcast feed, you can hear everything that the guys think about this on Monday on the Totally Football League show proper. It's like the first round proper of the FA Cup and we are the Totally Football League show Extra Time. But that's what you've been listening to. Hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back again next week where the midweek fixtures start again. We'll be reviewing those, previewing the weekend and we'll be securing an excellent guest or two, no doubt. Thanks for listening to this. Make sure you join us again next week. This has been the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power.
4: You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at thetotallyshow on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.